When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. In the 1990s, the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church was a modest-sized building, sitting at the end of the runway of Toronto's Lester B. Pearson International Airport. The church was part of a wider network of churches known as Vineyard. These Vineyard churches tried to ditch the image of a boring or traditional service. Walk into a Vineyard church even today and you'll see a full band on stage playing guitars and drums, with music that frankly sounds more like the sort of stuff you'd hear on the radio. And anyone looking for pews and a church organ are more likely to find comfy seats and coffee machines. And so for years, as the planes roared overhead, the Toronto congregation would meet to pray and sing and hear sermons preached from the Bible. You might say it was like any other contemporary church at the time. Until January the 20th, 1994, when something bizarre would take place that would catapult this congregation onto the world stage. To a time when the airplanes flying over their heads were bringing pilgrims from every corner of the world just to visit this little church and the so-called miracle of what newspapers in the UK began to call the Toronto Blessing. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Our Curious Past, we're going to church. But let me warn you, it'll be wild, because this is the strange story of the Toronto Blessing. While the Toronto Blessing was often described at the time as God doing a new thing, it really wasn't that new at all to Christian believers. Those who took part would point to the book of Acts in the New Testament, where the Holy Spirit visits the early church at Pentecost. Flames of fire were said to have appeared over their heads, and people inexplicably started to speak in other languages. It got so wild at that time that the observers in that church service began to worry that some of the attendees were wildly drunk, just like some of the attendees of the Toronto Blessing would also be accused. But with that biblical precedent in mind, when the things started to happen in Toronto, they would see this more like a revival of God's Holy Spirit of old. And yet the seeds of the Toronto Blessing were particularly sown 
1989, when a bizarre occurrence happened in American churches. A South African evangelist called Rodney Howard Brown was moving from church to church preaching sermons, and yet he started to become rather perplexed when members of the congregation would, right in the middle of his sermons, start laughing uncontrollably and then fall off their chairs to the floor. As they went on their journey and drew nigh under the city, Peter went up. Peter went up. Now, many public speakers, I've done quite a lot of public speaking myself, may well have taken that as an insult to see the audience falling apart laughing. But Rodney Howard Brown began to believe that this move through the congregation was something of God. And he was somehow becoming a conduit for a kind of anointing, something that he believed was bigger than himself. Peter went up. Peter went up on the housetop to pray. Rodney Brown would leave a church and then move on to another, and the church he had left would carry on falling about in tears and laughter, and then the new church he came to would do the same. He left in his wake something of a phenomenon, and word of this began to spread. Rodney Howard Brown had a particular impact in Florida. And in April of 1993, for example, Howard Brown was invited to preach to 4,000 students, and the reaction was the same. Even as Brown stood there preaching on the grim topic of hell, the student audience just fell about laughing their heads off. And the more he described the horrors of hell, the more they roared with laughter. And yet, they were not mocking or rejecting this message because at the end of his sermon, he offered an altar call for anyone to come forward to become Christians, and the students flocked to the front. Why were they giggling? Perhaps at the thought they had just escaped an eternity in the abyss. Local church leaders were curious and indeed suspicious, but they were intrigued by the numbers because this phenomenon was causing hundreds of new people to start becoming members of the Florida churches. This holy laughter phenomenon kept spreading. But the real catalyst, the people that would help take this to the world stage, were up in Toronto at that modest-sized airport church that was run by John and Carol Arnott. In 1992, John and Carol Arnott, the pastors of the Toronto Church, went to a meeting of the controversial evangelist Benny Hinn. That's Benny Hinn, by the way, not Benny Hill. They're quite different. People would fall over in Benny Hinn's meetings and dramatic healings were claimed. And when John and Carol attended this meeting of this uh, evangelist and preacher, Carol dropped to the floor overcome with what she believed was an encounter with God. She was so knocked out by this that John had to carry her back to the car. And the impact of having such a dramatic experience in a church service stuck with them both. Then a year later, it was late December of 1993, they both flew to a Christian conference in Argentina. They went there because Christians over there were claiming that God was moving in a powerful new way and they called it a revival. So John and Carol flew to Argentina and attended a meeting of a speaker called Claudio Fritzson. And at one point of that night, Fritzson 
called any foreign pastor to come up to the stage to receive the power of God's Holy Spirit. John and Carol stood from their seats and headed to the stage. And so there was a line of these international pastors standing on the stage, and Friedson went down this line saying, Take it, take it, take it. And as he did, each pastor dropped to the floor under the power, they claimed, of God. And Carol was one of them who fell too. But John Arnott wasn't so sure. He was feeling a little self-conscious that he hadn't fallen along with anybody else, and so he knelt down, trying to figure out if God had caused him to do that or he was just doing it himself, perhaps out of embarrassment. But in that moment, Claudio Friedson stopped praying for one of the pastors and span his head around and looked straight at John, and he said, Do you want it? And so John said, Yes, I do. And Claudio then said, Well, then take it. And at that point, it was said that John was knocked to the floor, just like everybody else. After this memorable experience in Argentina, John and Carol headed back to Toronto, and they were eager to share some of this Holy Spirit experience with the people back home. And so they started looking out for ways of bringing this sort of moment to their own Canadian congregation. On the church grapevine, they had heard that an American pastor called Randy Clark from Missouri had attended a Rodney Howard Brown meeting, the place where everyone was laughing. And Randy had supposedly had a very powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit at that event. And so John was eager to get Randy to come to the church and share about what he had experienced. And so he called Randy on the phone and invited him to come to the church to preach. He was sure this was something that God wanted. But Randy, however, wasn't so keen. He was frankly quite nervous about going out there and sharing his story with a strange new church. But John kept pressing and pressing, and eventually Randy reluctantly agreed. Randy was so churned up and nervous about this trip to Toronto that apparently he was about to board the plane at the airport when he suddenly felt overcome with nerves. This was just too much for him, and he decided he was going to turn back. Until... At that moment, he got a phone call on his cell phone, and it was from a Christian businessman he knew. And the man said, Randy, I just want to call you because I've got this sense that God has a message for you. God is saying that he knows you're scared, but still go. That was enough to give Randy the courage to get on that plane. And so on Thursday, January the 20th, 1994, at the Little Airport Church, about 120 people turned up to listen to this nervous Missouri guy called Randy talk about his experiences with the Holy Spirit. To give you an idea of how ordinary this night was, there was even another meeting going on, just a general sort of um, midweek church meeting in one of the rooms next door. That was led by a woman called Mary Laudry. And so Randy stood in front of these 120 people and basically just shared his experience of what happened to him at the Rodney Howard Brown event. And people listened, but nothing particularly remarkable happened until the end, when Randy said something like, if anyone else wants to receive this anointing, come to the front. John and Carol hadn't prepared for that, but they decided to just go with it and see what happened. 
And so they asked the congregation to stand so that those who wanted to come to the front for prayer could. And it was at this point when things got crazy. The people stood up. And then something seemed to shift in the atmosphere. And to everybody's shock, everyone fell. All 120 people in the room just dropped to the floor. Some of them broke into spontaneous and uncontrollable laughter. Others were crying while others were shaking on the floor. Mary Laudry, the woman who was teaching the class in the next room, heard that some sort of commotion was happening, and so she rushed from her class and came hurrying to the door to see what was going on. She knew that there was a meeting going on with a visiting speaker, and so she was confused when she looked through the doors to see that the room was empty, until she followed the sound of all of the noise and looked down to see everybody rolling around on the floor. Not a single person was standing. And when she saw that, It said she too fell forward and hit the carpet. She was unable to speak for the next 20 minutes. Eventually, people did get back up, but they wanted more of this strange experience because they were all not only astonished at what had happened, but they were leaving with a sense of intoxicating joy. They believed they had just encountered God. So they came back the second night, only this time the room was packed with about 300 or 400 people because they had heard what had happened on the first night and wanted to come and see what the fuss was about. And once again, the same thing happened. The congregation were falling to the floor in tears and laughter. The third night, it happened again. Only now there was a line of people going out of the door because so many people wanted to see this strange, what they were calling, a miracle. Word of this was spreading by word of mouth and phone calls. This was pre-internet, so there was no social media to share this news. And John was excitedly calling friends and colleagues from around the world, saying, God is here. He's doing something in our church. This all kept going on every night until Sunday, which was when Randy was supposed to have his last night at the church. He was due to go home the next day. But John told him, you're not going home, Randy. And so Randy, who could clearly see the power of this moment, agreed to stay for another couple of days. But then Randy did have to get back to his wife in Missouri. And so he said, look, I've got to go home. I promise to be back in a few days. They let him go. And at this point, John and some of the others in the church were a bit worried. What if this anointing of God would leave with Randy? What if it would come to an end as soon as he left? They got their answer at the meeting that night, when, even without Randy being there, the congregation were falling to the floor with hysterical laughter. The people were claiming to be filled with a feeling of such unexpressible happiness that there was nothing else to do but laugh or cry or fall to the floor in awe. Some people lay on the ground in that church for hours on end, totally incapacitated and yet loving it. Now, you might be wondering how long this pattern of meetings lasted for. Was it a couple of weeks, and then it fizzled out? A month, even? It was longer. Much, much longer. The meetings that started with Randy Clark in 1994 carried on in Toronto pretty much every single night for the next 12 years. That was over a thousand people coming each night to experience this phenomenon. 
Though after six months of every night, they decided they needed to take Monday nights off, otherwise it was going to be a bit too exhausting. John and Carol organized prayer teams to be available to pray with anyone who came, and they wore little pink badges to show that they were part of the official team. Rather than just some random person off the street who joined the crowd and started praying for people, and stories of miracles began to spread in this environment, with people saying they had been blind and then could see, of people getting up out of wheelchairs and walking. Relationships were restored. Financial miracles took place. And because of word of this phenomena, people flocked to see these evenings from all over the world. At one point, this Toronto airport church became the most visited tourist attraction in Canada, beating even Niagara Falls. Now, many people wanted to take this passion for God and this expressive example of worship back to their own churches. And indeed, that did happen in many places. A big example of this is a Church of England vicar called Nicky Gumbel. He came to Toronto and had a powerful experience. And then when he went back home and shared it with his congregation in Holy Trinity Brompton in London, they too started falling to the floor and writhing. Word spread, and soon there were queues out of the door. These events happened at HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton, for about a year, but the congregation were galvanized, even when all of this dramatic stuff eased off. They ran this thing called the Alpha Course, which would soon become a phenomenon worldwide, where people come and to church and share their questions, no matter how difficult, and they can do it around a meal and listen to a talk. Alpha had been running since 1979, and in 1992 there were five Alpha courses running in Britain with about a hundred attendees. But after Nicky Gumbel's Toronto Blessing experience, the popularity of the course exploded. In 1994, attendees leapt from 100 to a staggering 26,700. Today, 28 million people have attended an Alpha course. Another couple called Bill and Benny Johnson came from a large U.S. church called Bethel. They were astonished by what they saw at Toronto, and they headed back to their own church, eager to try it. And at the end of one of their services, Bill stood up and said, Come, Holy Spirit! The congregation had about 2,500 people in it, so a sizable church. But on that Sunday, when he said those words, half of the congregation apparently got up and left. They did not want to be part of this sort of freaky Christianity. Yet today, that church has grown to over 10,000 in its congregation with a huge influence over the Christian world. And so despite so many people being very positive about this experience in Toronto and beyond, there were many detractors, including, frankly, mostly from Christians who may have been more conservative in their theology and practice For them, to see people literally rolling around the floor of a church screaming or wailing could not be a sign of God, but rather, at best, group psychosis, or at worst, some sort of wave of satanic activity or even demonic possession. Concerns like this were particularly voiced when some of the more dramatic reactions were observed. And I'm thinking here particularly about the animal noises. Yep, 
One of the features of the Toronto Blessing was that some in the crowd would not only weep or laugh, but they would roll around clucking like chickens, howling like wolves, or more specifically, roaring like a lion. Indeed, a significant Anglican church in the United Kingdom called St. Andrew's in Chorleywood saw a similar experience in their congregation in the 1990s. Their minister was leading a service when he started to roar like a lion. People perhaps were well shocked, but many others were inspired by this. Indeed, a young songwriter who attended the church called Matt Redman would go on to be a Grammy Award-winning Christian artist, and one of his early songs refers to this moment in church where the lyrics say, And we have heard the lion's roar that speaks of heaven's love and power. Yet for many, the animal noises were just too much. People who were actually from the Toronto church tended to say that those who wailed like elephants or barked like dogs were not standard responses and tended to be from visitors. Indeed, if you had about a thousand people each night from all over the world in a heightened state of emotion, you may well get all sorts of responses. But this image, in in video particularly, of people on all fours barking like dogs did not help the credibility of the Toronto Blessing. And on, I don't know if he's here tonight, but he'll know, on the tie had a wolf howling at the moon. And the Lord said to me, will you howl for me? I said, don't ask me to do that, Lord. He said, if I ask you, will you do it? He said, if I can't ask you to do something in your own house, how are you going to do it out there? So... The Toronto Church had been part of the Vineyard Movement, like I said earlier, this collection of charismatic contemporary churches. However, the Vineyard was starting to see the controversy and the backlash about the events at Toronto. And so a man called John Wimber from Vineyard went to visit John and Carol Arnott, and he gave them an ultimatum. They either shut down these revival nights, and then they can carry on being part of the Vineyard Network, or carry on with these nights but be disconnected from Vineyard. John and Carol were deeply disappointed, and they had a two-hour discussion of this ultimatum, trying to come up with some sort of answer. But then they came up with the only solution they could think of. They said they couldn't stop these meetings, and so they agreed to disconnect from Vineyard, and the nights continued, as did the strange phenomenon. It's claimed, although I can't substantiate it, that John Wimber on his deathbed expressed regret at giving this ultimatum. The church still meets today, but with a new name, Catch the Fire Toronto. It's part of a wider network of churches under the Catch the Fire banner. If you were to just Google put in your postcode or your zip code into a website on Catch the Fire, you will see churches in your area most likely. And if you turn up, don't be surprised if you see uncontrollable laughter, weeping, shaking, and apparent drunkenness. The Catch the Fire website puts it like this. The Toronto Blessing is a transferable anointing. In its most visible form, it overcomes worshippers with outbreaks of laughter, weeping, groaning, shaking, falling, drunkenness, and even behaviours that have been described as a, quote, cross between a jungle and a farmyard. 
So what exactly happened in Toronto in the late 90s and the 2000s, and what is still occurring today in many churches across the world? Is this a genuine move of a divine entity? Well, millions would claim yes, and they'd point to miraculous healings and lives changed. Others argue that something more psychological may be going on. Indeed, a South African academic called Stephanus Pretorius wrote his doctorate on the Toronto Blessing in 2002, and he pointed out that similar behaviours like falling, weeping and roaring like lions can be seen in other religious rituals, like in Hinduism, for example, particularly related to Kundalini practices. That's where believers try to awaken a primal spiritual energy that is said to exist within us. For Christian conservatives, however, the idea that the Toronto Blessing shares similarities with Hindu practices or Kundalini yoga is just more fuel for them to say that this was of the devil. After all, the fundamentalists tend to see every religion other than Christianity, and a specific expression of Christianity of that, as demonic. Yet more open-minded theologians argue that if God does exist, God may choose to express divine presence in ways across cultures and across religions that are shocking to us, and that they leave people with a sense of joy and awe. Or could it be that these reactions are simply a form of mass hysteria, a state of group hypnosis? Certainly the use of repeated songs sung over and over in church services like in Toronto can be reminiscent of the mantras we hear chanted in other faiths. Could it be that ritualistic conditions like this can put people's mind in a more open state? Whether that's a mind open to demonic activity, psychological delusion or an actual encounter with the Divine Presence is up for you to decide. Yet despite the debate, the impact of the Toronto Blessing on the Christian world in the dwindling years of the 20th century cannot be underestimated. The continued growth of churches that offer this sort of dramatic experience ought to tell us that either people are still fooling themselves, or they are encountering an actual spiritual reality. What do you think? Let me know. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to The Strange Story of the Toronto Blessing on Our Curious Past. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Our Curious Past. If you want to hear more about me and my books and the work I do, and indeed my other show, which is Frightful Scary True Stories, or Creepy Cove Community Church, which are horror-themed church services, then check out peterlaws.co.uk. And if you want to support the work that I do, which would be amazing, and uh, get exclusive extra content and ad-free episodes and more, then visit patreon.com forward slash peterlaws, where we can connect and learn a little bit more about this curious world. Thanks for listening. Good night.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.